Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, before we get into God's word, um, could I have a word of prayer? Um, we come to a text of scripture that it's going to demand of us uh, not only some thought, but yet at the same time, it'll demand that we uh, go against uh, maybe some 21st century thinking in light of scripture itself. It may go against uh, what we think as uh, we think of our own homes and some of our past experiences. Uh, it will confront many things. We're going to come today in, in this understanding of chapter 13 in enough practical living and we're going to look at marriage and morality and so because of its fullness we're only going to unpack one verse and i, I think that encourages us to have prayer uh, i'd also like to, to just ask you to, to be in prayer uh, obviously none of us want to be in in this kind of relationship we all want to be in the sanctuary, singing loudly, being with one another, not wearing masks, and enjoying the freedom that we know to be in Christ. We, we understand that. And I want to, I want to give you uh, the foundation of this week. This week is to be focused on thanksgiving. So as we pray, I want to pray for all of us that our hearts this week can focus on what are we thankful for? by God's grace in 2020. So let's put it in our heads this morning as we begin to reflect on it tonight and then take it through the week so that on Thursday our focus isn't merely turkey and shortcomings and empty stadiums as we watch football, but it can be a little bit more significant as we think of ways in which God has allowed us, encouraged us, or challenged us to grow this year. Thirdly, I'd like to pray for one last thing, and that's brothers and sisters who are in the country of Nigeria, just south of where the Zukoskis are ministering, are going through some terrible and rotten persecution from the hands of Islamic fundamentalists who are decimating churches and families, uh, and again, demanding that our brothers and sisters walk back from their commitment to Christ. So would you join us in prayer as we think of these three areas? Father in heaven, I'd ask that you'd watch over this morning. Dear God, we recognize as we worship together apart that, that this isn't the best. And, and you even have designed a best that when we gather in Jesus' name in glory that great cloud of witnesses that we saw and were reminded of in Hebrews 12 is the, is the witnesses that we will know and respond to in intimacy in the eternities. And so, Father, I would just ask that you'd watch over and allow us, our hearts and our minds, to be reminded of what a great privilege it is to be united in Christ. That, dear God, distance can't, uh, struggles can't, uh, governments can't take away our essential joy. 
Dear God, we were given that when we accepted Christ as Savior. And dear God, I would pray that you would allow our thoughts this week. Dear God, allow our reflection on, on the year that we have just gone through to be higher. Redeem our minds, dear God, in such a way that we see your grace and your goodness. And in this week of thanksgiving, much as the pilgrims were able to say thank you for your providential care, knowing they had lost 50% of all of their brothers and sisters, their wives, their children, their husbands, dear God, they were able to say thank you for your grace and your provision. Dear God, may we look back on this year with a, a little bit more heart of awareness. Father, as we open and examine scripture today, I'd ask that you'd be with us. Dear God, I, I would pray that as we, as we interact with the Bible, dear God, uh, allow our time to be such that, that we see ourselves as submitting ourselves to you as you expressed it in your word. Dear God, I would pray that, that I reflect the honesty of that presentation knowing that the 21st century now is, is unraveling many of the goodness and the grace that, that marriage offers. And that, dear God, we, the image of Christ and the church, are, are seeing that beautiful picture destroyed over and over and over again. Dear God, I'd ask that you would watch over, be with us as we, as we intimately look at this simple verse. Dear God, I'd ask also that you'd watch over as brothers and sisters in Nigeria this morning uh, have already gone through worship. Their day is about to end. Dear God, their worship had to be far more attentive than ours. We, we watch a, a live stream service, dear God. They watch the window to make certain no one disrupts their time with you and their declaration of loyalty. Father, they watched the horizons as they traveled home. Dear God, with one eye looking at what could be, while one eye remembered and worried and concerned about their families. Dear God, I'd ask that you would watch over. Dear God, may we recognize as we prayed for a number of weeks ago, our need to sympathize and to, to walk with our, our brothers and sisters throughout this planet, we now globally remember our responsibility. I pray that you'd watch over, be with them, dear God, strengthen them in Christ, and may we have a chance to see the fruition of our prayers uh, as, as you guard and, and work with and through them. May your name be lifted up in that community. Dear God, I pray that you'd watch over the Zogoskis and Gome Hospital also, Dear God, may we see your, your hand of protection as they continue to communicate the gospel uh, throughout the area as they go into villages, as they go into communities where not one knows Christ as Savior, but they are returning an individual who's been healed through the efforts and the sacrifice of our brothers and sisters in belief. And so, dear God, I would pray that the heart of the gospel may go out in their loving commitment to, to provide physical care. 
So dear God, we'd ask that you'd watch over this morning and, and be with us as we interact with one another today, as we appreciate the bond that we all know in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, family, the world is more and more satisfied with the significant temporary rather than the meaningful permanent. And using just a few current events, two actors, an actress and an actor, uh, within the last three years went down to Mexico trying to see El Chapo. They, they met him. And flying home after the interview were gleeful. It was talked about that they had a amorous or a growing, budding romance. The actress put it aside and says, oh no, we had sex. But that's all. So something that was designed to be wonderful and a privilege is now treated as if it was just a handshake, something to be done after a, a, a joyous occasion. Um, we watched this week uh, a young lady published a series of, of articles, of essays, and it's called No One Asked for This. And in it, she explains the hurt that she experienced in a breakup of her two and a half year relationship. Uh, she says this. My name, which had been written in cursive across his ring finger, was now covered with black ink, describing their breakup. With, with the black ink, she felt completely erased. She went on to say, I felt like I was being terrorized. He's just repeating everything I thought that made our relationship special with someone else one day later. Now, in no way do I want to minimize that hurt. Two and a half years invested in someone is significant and is obviously painful. And yet, the deep meaning, expressing the power of God out in relationships, just think how damning a relationship that breaks up or is mistreated by those in Christ. You see, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior in anticipation that God will come into our lives through the Holy Spirit, that in, in coming into our lives, He at least will make it relationally better. The hard times that I go through, I go through with Almighty God. The, the lessons I learn are lessons that allow me to grow in holiness, reflecting His good name. And we anticipate the day that we will spend eternity with Him in glory. And yet, we also forget sometimes that with that Holy Spirit, we are lovingly given the privilege to identify with the one who offered us salvation. And we willingly come under his design, his leadership, and his, his, his words in scripture. How will we handle marriage in general 
in our marriages specifically become our foundation in worship this morning. So as we read Hebrews 13.4 together, uh, in it we have the encouragement to find moral and spiritual significance in our marriages around us. Listen, if you will, verse 4 of chapter 13. Very simply it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Family, in order to really pull out and find appreciation here in Hebrews 13.4, I think it's fair that we go back and we look at the group of believers in a community that I don't believe we fully appreciate. Some within that believing community were already declaring that chastity was more holy than marriage. Almost as if in the 21st century, some of us who are married may look down and say, oh, if only that other individual, that single person was married, they would be more utilized by the Lord. How unfair. We understand that, that sense of disconnect, which started then, continued on into the history of the church. And we know at least one denomination that honors singleness in such a way that it creates its own set of problems. So we've missed that whole understanding. They lived celibate and condemned marriages. Married couples could have thought of themselves as second-class citizens. A Roman marriage was a unique thing. You and I think of it as a loving relationship. I married Kathy because I loved her. Um, a Roman marriage was designed to lift either your financial status uh, or your cultural status. So the right wife raised your rank. Yet this very same woman that lifted your rank could be ignored, while you as a husband could be quite immoral. As a single man, you were expected to be immoral. It was a design of your real masculinity. And that, that immorality could have gone throughout all of the community. There was no understanding of either homosexuality or heterosexuality. There was just immorality. And to go from one to the other in relationship was not a problem, not a, not a difficulty, and not seen, even within the culture itself, as wrong. Out of this cultural setting comes our singular verse why is marriage to be held in honor? How? So let's look at the fullness of, of Scripture and, and see how we could pull out the idea of this general statement that marriage is to be held in honor. And I think I want you to notice first, it gives clear definition to gender function and complement roles. So way back in the book of Genesis, we can read, 
So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So family, right off the bat, I want you to see a couple of ideas that are key. God created the binary relationship of masculine male and feminine female. And that, that binary grouping of humanity identifies itself so strongly with God that that is the makeup of the very image of God and one of the key components of that image. So concerning marriage, it is, it is designed as a man and a woman. It is the only way in which being fruitful and multiply cannot operate within that first generation reality. It's the only way that God could have used the original pair. We've been empowered as male and female to bring forth new images of God and of ourselves. And we are called to partner with each other in a deep relationship more than just mere multiplication. Let me speak to something that I know very little about in fairness. But I do want you to understand transgenderism attacks the very identity of male and female. Uh, an oversimplification uh, of a definition might go this way. Sexual orientation is about who you want to be with. Gender identity is about who you are. Family, God tied the two of them together so that who you are reflects what your role is in gender and who you wish to be with in partnership. We understand that genderism actually denies who you are by denying the deep connection that you have with your creator God. God is equipping you by his eternal plan to help you maximize your gender confidence. So he says this in, in Psalms 139, verses 16 and 17. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your, and your book was written. Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. So let me cut to the chase. What he's saying is this. I created you just the way you are. I created you in such a way that in doing so, I maximized how you would be successful in not only the days in which you're living, but the very success in terms of gender identification of how you will go through those successful days. And he did so in the wisdom of his love for you and his omniscient mind. So he creates an incredible partnership and an awareness of how specifically he can help and maximize the success that will be utilized in your life 
throughout your entire life. Teens, if I'm going to leave you something today, I want to challenge you to just first wait and be patient as God works with you and as you grow and mature as an adult. Forgive me, I'm an old fossil. You know that, I'm 64 years old. You don't even think of me as having the potential of being a teenager. I get it, I really do. But I want you to remember one thing. I struggled in ways not dissimilar than you, but culturally I didn't have some of the same concerns, expectations, and pressures. I recognize they're different for you, but you know, as, as a teenager, I recognize what's culture want from me and what does God want from me? I recognize that tension that exists. I recognize what it means as being drawn to culture rather than drawn to the things of God. I recognize that my, my God in many, in many, many times preserved me from where I wanted to go and protected me by keeping me away from some of the very things that I was drawn to. So I want to encourage you, just wait. The, the picture of life gains more focus and perspective with every day you live as you head into that greater understanding of the adult world. So just be patient. God's going to work with you as you grow and mature and, and you discover that plan through walking with the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to see, how does, how does the Bible paint a man? In a, in a gross generalization, in a wide painting of Scripture, man, male, is held accountable for the action plans that God has. So when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, we all know the story well enough to know that Eve was the, the first to fall to the, to the snake, to Satan. And yet, throughout all of Scripture, the action plan holds Adam accountable. And that accountability is key. When Abraham was asked by God to travel from Ur of the Chaldees to the Promised Land, he was married at that time. Sarah joined him, and yet it's known as the Abrahamic Covenant because God holds the man responsible, if you will, for the action plan that's going on within the dialogue between a couple and the Lord, between a nation and the leadership and the Lord. So we want to look down and, and understand what God expects of us and that plan that, that moves things forward. Family, we also understand that a feminine female in Scripture seems to support God's action plans. And maybe the most unique illustration that I could give you this morning is in the female judge Deborah and the military leader Barak. 
that we have found in the book of Genesis. Deborah has been authorized by God to lead the nation now in judging spiritually what goes on within the community. She stands unique in all of that period of time as the singular female judge that we know in the Bible. She calls Barak, the military leader, to come and communicate. And she gives him God's demand. You go and you lead the nation Israel in an attack against the Canaanites and Sisera, the military leader of their country, specifically, to free the nation of Israel. Barak looks and says, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. She says, if you don't do this by yourself and I go with you, the victory will be given to a woman. And those of you who know the story know that ultimately that's exactly what happened. And so Sisera is killed by a woman as he tries to escape from the, the battle and is not given the privilege of surrendering to Barak. And even though she was a judge of Israel, she recognized the expectation of masculinity. And so let me suggest to you this, a, a female or a, a feminine female in Christ's eyes has the expectation to assist and to encourage to strengthen and, and respond to the leadership of worthy men in an appropriate relationship. While a man has the expectation to take loving responsibility, to lead and provide for and protect a woman in every appropriate relationship. And so we see a whole understanding how God looks down and in marriage pictures a way to honor that commitment by defining the roles that each one plays. And even though there's different roles, I want you to notice secondly, if we're gonna honor marriage, it provides the expectation of partnership. You see, we just looked at the roles, but I want you to understand they're partners working out the plans and the responsibilities of God by his design. One of the ways in which man and woman together are the image of God, they image the relationship of both submission and partnership that the Trinity shares. As the Trinity itself have separate roles and a submission of responsibility and yet are clearly equal. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, the Father and the Son share the same essence and rank, and yet in their relationship, the Son submits to the Father, while the Father never submits to the Son. No inferiority, no inequality. The Son never usurps the Father, the Spirit, neither the Father nor the Son. Yet they exist equally in ability, in characteristic, and in authority. A husband is never greater than the wife or the wife inferior. They will be judged and honored equally in glory. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says it this way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, not weaker in any other thing than she can't bench press the same amount as her husband should. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and the idea of heirs is co-heirs, and the warning is given that if you ever mistreat her as anything less than a co-heir, the Holy Spirit, through our author, goes on to say, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And if you ever forget your role, man, and you ever treat your wife in a, in a position or in a role of inequality, look no farther than your prayers of the lack of success that you'll have in a walk with Christ. So I want you to see thirdly, not only do we have role, not only do we have equality, and both of those are to be honored. I want you to notice thirdly, it plans for a beautiful expression of intimacy. God is serious about sexual purity. Men and women may justify sex outside of marriage, they may justify what they view on the internet in pornography, but it is always sin and will always be judged. So Paul can tell us this, flee immorality. The immoral man sins against his own body. And family, as a believer, your internal standards are destroyed. When you walk into this arena, who you are in Christ is jeopardized. That identity, that confidence that you have in Christ, the, the unique relationship that a believer has with the Holy Spirit is all of a sudden minimized, the standard broken. Within your own life, we're told by, by psychiatrists that anxiety, depression, regret, embarrassment, guilt, may override what is your normal behavior. Porn has already proven to diminish sexual satisfaction and lead to a greater loneliness and the likelihood of divorce. So family, we understand and we see this bad side, but yet if marriage is to be pure and be honored and the marriage bed is pure, we need to talk for just a minute. You see, we often condemn the ugliness of sex outside of marriage, yet we seem to forget the privilege and the beauty within matrimony. Um, forgive me, but we often miss the Bible's teaching. We have a whole book, the Song of Solomon. Forgive me, but for the entire book, the loving relationship of a woman who chases her husband all through the town to be with him, especially with him in intimacy, is fully pronounced. And the husband who continually looks for that woman chasing him over and over again is doing the same thing till they find one another and enjoy their time together. We miss that, that privilege and that joy and that great responsibility. And 
we understand and sometimes misunderstand that God created this intimacy to be fully enjoyed and fully expressed. So he could say that the bed itself is pure within marriage. Proverbs goes on to describe it this way in chapter 5, picking up a variety of phrases and verses between verses 15 and 19. It says, drink water from your own cistern. In other words, have a sexual relationship within the confines of your own marriage as it speaks poetically. Flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breath satisfy you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Family, the idea here is that the love of a husband and a wife should be a lifelong, continual embrace with one another. It should be both fulfilling to each relationship, both to the wife and to the husband, who own each other's body completely. I want you to notice, fourthly, it pictures the relationship between Christ and the church. You see, when we're faithfully picturing the model, we honor God in our marriage. I want to suggest to you it might be one of the most quiet, successful opportunities that you have to share Christ to your, to your friends and to your neighbors that are out there. And as they know you well, often you may hear one idea. How come you get along so well? How come your marriage is so successful? Why do, you, why do you show one another that you really love one another? How do you do that? And out of that, you have the chance to explain what changed you so much as you embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. You have the chance to share the gospel because in your marriage, you reflect the gospel. And what is pictorial in your relationship can be explained completely in the relationship that exists between you and Jesus Christ in salvation. So what a chance to open the doors of the gospel simply by allowing you and your wife to have a relationship that the community finds inviting and encouraging. One, one man said it this way about the marriage relationship. As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. So a believing marriage is at risk unless both partners recognize the importance of commitment to Christ and to each other. With our salvation, we plan that when Christ comes, he will create the original order. In other words, he's going to fix everything. He's going to throw away the, the bond and the destructive nature of sin. And we will know the purity of those first chapters of creation. But that's exactly what we find as he describes 
a husband and a wife in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Wives, you become the model of God's intention for the church when you live out the design of who you are as the created glory of female femininity in Christ. Husbands, you restore the created picture of who masculine man is when you, by modeling a believer's life, show God's intention that Christ had to the church as Savior. This means that whatever you do in marriage is meant to bring glory to Christ. And that is the happiest, joyful ending of all. Family, I, I want to encourage you this week. Um, one of the great things that you have to be thankful for, those of you who know marriage, is to be able to say, I thank you, Lord, for the day that I was able to say, I do. Singles, you have a joy that God's given you, a freedom to be identified with the very one who gave this model, but allows you the freedom to express that model in the joy of a straight, if you will, relationship to Jesus Christ and the freedom you have to serve him in glory and honor. And so as we look at this, we see that the entire church, male, free, female, married and single, have the privilege to walk with him in honor, in joy, thanksgiving. We look forward to gathering together tonight in the soup supper uh, as, as we take an entire church time to reflect on God's goodness and be thankful for it. But do me a favor, again, utilize this morning, this evening, and the days to come to put your heart and mind in the focus of all that God has given you and see that as a gift from God to be joyously thankful for. Set the stage for not only this holiday, but our celebration of Christmas itself as we see the coming Savior and the ability to see thankfully what God has done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've given us. Dear God, in this season, I thank you for the opportunity that, that I've had, that in days of loneliness, to be reminded of a relationship with you. That, dear God, ultimately, no matter where I am, there you are also. Dear God, I, I thank you for the, for the marriage that I have. Dear God, I, I thank you for not only the, the heritage that my kids face, but even the singleness of Katie, my daughter. Dear God, I, I thank you that, that you've allowed us to see all of the blessing that you've given us as exactly that, a blessing that comes from you. 
And that, dear God, you allow us to serve and reflect uh, who our Savior is by the use of our lives and the, the quiet understanding of the very life that you've given us to live. So, dear God in heaven, I pray that you set the stage for hearts that are appreciative of your gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you uh, got a lot out of that. It's uh, amazing to me how much Scripture has for us. One verse, 10 or 15 words, I think, Pete, and uh, we get so much out of that. And, you know, as I sat there listening, I imagine there's kind of two groups that are, that are listening to this this morning. There's married people and there's single people, and yet this verse that speaks about marriage uh, has profound implications for each of those groups. Uh, for those of us who are married, I was thinking about the fact that um, how, how great marriage is and that allows, allows God to use that relationship to transform our lives, our hearts, and we can, in our partnership with one another, uh, be a, a picture of Christ and his church. And that verse, of course, speaks specifically, as we were listening, uh, about sexual purity and how sexual intimacy in marriage is that expression. It's that symbol of that partnership. It's that symbol of the unity that we have together. And who knew? We talk about uh, reaching out to your circle card, that having a great marriage relationship and being sanctified through the marriage relationship is an opportunity to reach out to other people. And so uh, for those of us who are married, it's, it's an opportunity for us to redouble our commitment to one another, uh, not just because we love each other, but to be an expression of Christ and his church. And, and of course, uh, some of you out there are single, and, uh, and, and, and sometimes that can be, in your consideration, something of a bummer. Like, I don't have what God would have for me. I don't have his best for me. And yet, in your singleness, you have an opportunity. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, if you were to look at it, especially verses 25 through 40, you have opportunities that married people don't. You're unencumbered and unanxious about the things of this world, and so you can be focused on the things of the Lord. So I just want to say to you, if you're single this morning, uh, look around for opportunities to engage with what God is doing and how you can partner with him while he has you in that state of uh, being single. Then I imagine that there's a, a group that kind of crosses both of those boundaries, and Pete spoke to this very well. It's people who are struggling with sexual identity or sexual immorality. And I don't know what that is. Maybe you're in a relationship outside of marriage or you're, you're in an adulterous relationship. Uh, maybe you're struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or uh, pornography. And uh, we want you to know that the gospel is available to you uh, to save you and to free you from that. And uh, those are things that, uh, that thrive in isolation. And we are in a time in our history where isolation is high. Uh, you're uh, asked to work from home on your computer. You're alone. You're not able to get out. Uh, we would just encourage you to enter into community. And if that means calling into the church, and asking one of us as pastors, hey, I, I'm struggling, I'm in bondage to sin. Uh, we want to talk to you about how the gospel can free you from that, and we'd love to help you with that 
And uh, so we encourage you to do that. Pete made a comment at the beginning that I thought was so, so good. Uh, people are looking for significant temporary things rather than meaningful permanent things. And I think that's the heart of the issue. We consider a sexual identity and sexual, sexual relationships as the things for which we are striving rather than wholeness and health in Christ as the meaningful permanent thing, whether we be single or married. We hope uh, that scripture has encouraged you this morning. Worship has encouraged you this morning. The preaching of the word has encouraged you this morning. I know it's not how we would uh, love it to be, but for right now, uh, we are given those things by God's grace through technology uh, to be together. And so uh, we wanna encourage you with that. Just a couple of reminders as we leave. First of all, tonight, be here. Uh, 6 p.m. is our live stream. Maybe you're gathering with a community group. Maybe you've got to do that alone. But be with us because we're going to hear some encouraging testimonies. We're going to enjoy some worship time together. And uh, we also, during that time, are going to tell you a little bit more about our virtual Advent calendar. And that's an opportunity for families to get together, to read scripture, to pray, to discuss scripture. And uh, we're going to have some video presentations from a bunch of different people in our church but we're gonna tell you more about that tonight. If you wanna see the premiere of that announcement, come tonight, 6 p.m., Facebook, or click the banner at the top of the website. That'll get you there as well. Uh, but we're excited to talk about that tonight. And then, of course, Dale mentioned it at the beginning. Uh, as we talked about, man, we're in lockdown again. We've gotta do this live stream thing again. We sort of tried to think creatively, and we're gonna have outdoor services in December. Uh, call us crazy, but that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to put up some tents like you might see at an outdoor wedding. We will have heaters. We will have chairs. We will have coverings, all of that stuff. Don't worry. But we want you there. Not next week. Next week's going to be another live stream. But the week after that, I believe the dates are December 5 and 6. First weekend in December, 8.30, 9.45, 11 a.m. on Sunday, and of course, Saturday at 6 p.m., gives us a little more room to have uh, time together. Uh, it increases our max service size, so you'll wanna be there. Maybe you'll bring a blanket, maybe you'll dress warm. We're try gonna try and have it warm for you. And maybe you're looking outside going, man, it's frosty out there. I don't know if we could do this or my kids can do this. We'll have some kids ministry inside five and under, and uh, that's only gonna be during the 945 service. So if you want the kids ministry come during that service, but we're excited to try it. It's gonna be different. We hope that you'll join us. 8.30, 9.45, 11 a.m. on Sunday, starting December the 6th, or of course, Saturday night, December 5th at 6 p.m. Uh, yeah, so of course, it'll still be social distance, the masks and all that stuff that we're used to by now, uh, but we're, gonna, we're just gonna have a good time during the month of December. Uh, uh, experiencing the winter wonderland, right? So we hope that you'll be there with us. And uh, thanks for joining us this morning. We're so glad that we could worship together.
Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.